word here. Last week, we looked at John 3, 1 through 15, and we saw a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews coming to Jesus at night. And we talked about the, the idea that, that most have, that he came by night out of the fear of man. Remember, he was held in high esteem by the people. That's what the word Nicodemus, his name, meant. And it seemed that he came by night because even at this point, there were many that didn't hold Jesus in high esteem. Um, there were many that were upset with him because he was disrupting their false gospel and their system of religion. So it seems he came to the Lord by night out of fear of man, uh, interested in what Jesus had to offer, but still wanting to be held in high esteem amongst the people. Jesus, in his goodness, meets the man where he is at and really bypasses the small talk and gets right into the heart of the matter with Nicodemus by telling him, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And remember when he said that, Nicodemus stood back and he marveled. Because Nicodemus thought as being a ruler and a Pharisee and just a Jew, that in that itself, he was going to go to heaven. But absolutely not. We got to be born again. And we talked about what it is to be born again, to have that second life. That we are born into sin, we have a sin nature. And if we die again in our sin, we're going to be separated from God forever. But Jesus Christ came into this world. And remember, he gave the illustration as that bronze serpent was lifted up there back with Israel when they were bitten by that snake in that time of rebellion. If they looked to that snake, looked up at it, they were saved by faith that Jesus, he talks about this, he would be lifted up for us. And again, he would become sin for us. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. He laid down his life and he took it back up and conquered death that if we put our faith in him now we are born again because he's died for us we receive the holy spirit and we have eternal life by grace alone through faith alone and him alone and so jesus got right into that with nicodemus this morning we see the second part of what the lord presented to him which really it all goes together but listen there was so much we had to have this in two parts this morning we see jesus picking this up right there in john three sixteen, which is probably the most memorized verse in the whole bible and absolutely i think that it in my opinion it has the clearest gospel message if we're just going to take one verse in the whole bible you know it's all there and so we're going to break down john three sixteen, and then look at the next verses as well which are so important in looking at this in context and in all of it, we're going to see in our sin and our rebellion that, again, he loved us so much he sent his son to make that way of salvation, to make that way of moving us from being condemned. And we're going to talk about what condemnation is to being in that place of being saved. And we'll talk about, again, what salvation is. So let's read through the text here together. So much for us. Let's read through it, and then we'll jump into it here. So John three sixteen through 21, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. 
For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So notice how we start here in verse 16. For God so loved. We read in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. And so God being love absolutely loves us despite us. And listen, when we talk about biblical love, when we talk about agape love, we're not talking about worldly love. Most people today, when you ask them, hey, what is love or what does love mean? It usually ends up in if something brings me pleasure, if there's something that releases those endorphins in my mind, I love that thing because of how it makes me feel. And that's one of the reasons why so many people fall in and out of love because when something's new in their life that entertains them or releases those endorphins, I love them. But listen, when Christ isn't the center and the foundation of your life, eventually those endorphins aren't released anymore. It's all of a sudden, well, I fell out of love. No, you fell out of getting that little high that you get on this new thing that brought you pleasure. Aren't you glad that God's not like that? Boy, if it, well, you know, I made you, and oh, look at that sweet little baby, and it's bringing me some pleasure. Then you become a toddler, and you're a little brat walking around like, I don't love that anymore. <laughs> Praise God, he's not like that. Praise God when we read 1 Corinthians 13, and we see the definition of love in verse 4 through 7. Listen, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. And you look at this, and we'll read it here in a second. As, as we go through John, and we see Jesus, he is the epitome, is the perfect picture of love. And remember when we look at Jesus, we see the perfect picture of the Father. Notice 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Again, it says, For God so loved, there in John 3, 16. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. This is what love is. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love suffers long. Aren't you glad that he suffers long with us? Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. And again, in the ministry of Jesus Christ here on earth, you see all these attributes. Jesus was never envious of any others. He never paraded himself around or was puffed up or was rude to anybody. It says, love does not seek its own. How often did the Lord even leave the crowd to go find the outcasts? Is not provoked, thinks no evil. Listen to this, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And that's huge. Because how often do we love God? what's sinful because again it makes us feel good but true love never rejoices in sin it never rejoices in darkness it never rejoices in iniquity no matter how it may make us feel it always rejoices in the truth the truth of god's word it says it bears all things believes all things hopes all things and endures all things and we know that jesus christ endured all the way to the cross of calvary for us rose from the grave for us and so when this talks about love and for god so loved and again first john 4 8 god is love that's what we're talking about here Uh, it's a love beyond our ability uh in and of ourselves that's what his love is and listen for god so loved the world and I know there's a lot of folks that if you would ask them, hey, do you love others? Oh, yeah. Do you love the world? I, oh, yeah, I absolutely do. But if you said to them, well, if, if, if the world did the most heinous thing that you can think of to you and your family, would you still love them? They say, oh, absolutely not. I want to love that. I'd have a right not to love them. 
And think about it, for God so loved the world, the context of this is he loved the world while the world was under condemnation, while the world was in rebellion, while the world was enemies of God. When we were in that place where we, again, loathed him, when we complained against him, when we sinned against him, when we were snake bitten by sin. Remember the context here. Let's go back to the two verses before John three sixteen, as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. John three fourteen it says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus used that, that event that happened there in the days of Moses to show Nicodemus how Jesus had to die for our sins. Last week, we looked at that event in Numbers 21, 4 through 9. Remember the Israelites, they were actually getting ready to go into the promised land. It was at the end of that 40-year period in the wilderness. Their cousins, the descendants of Esau, would not allow them to cross their land. They wouldn't allow them to cross through Mount Seir. So remember, they had to go around the long way. You ever have to go the long way in life? And as they went the long way, what did they do? They began to complain against God. They began to murmur against him. And then they began to say, listen, you, can't, you brought us out here so that we would die in the wilderness. Then they began to make God the enemy, just like the enemy of our soul did right there in the beginning of the garden. You know, oh, God knows if you eat of the tree, you won't die. He knows if you eat of it, you'll be like him. And he doesn't want that. And so they begin to make God the enemy. They begin to make Moses the enemy who the Lord had raised up to lead them. And then they even went so far to say, our soul loathes this worthless bread. That manna that God had given them morning after morning after morning that had provided for them, that substance of life, they began to loathe that even. And so in the midst of all of this, we read there in Numbers 21, 6, the Lord sent fiery serpents amongst them. And these serpents began to bite them because, again, in their sin, it had unleashed an attack on them. Just like when we walk in sin, the Bible talks about hedges being broken and spiritual attack coming upon us. Now, the Lord allows that to bring correction. And as those serpents begin to bite them, we read there in the text in verse 7, they cried out, we have sinned. We've spoken against God. We've spoken against against you Moses and they said pray that the Lord will take away these serpents and so this this was actually a a a wonderful breakthrough for the Israelites because for the most part they would just complain and complain and then Moses would intercede and God would grant them grace at this point again they're snake bitten they recognize we have sinned they're admitting their sin and they're actually saying we need an intercessor so we've sinned and so God instructed Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole and he said any that have been bitten if they look up at that serpent they're going to be healed that took an an act of faith on their behalf of saying yes i'm i see that i'm bitten here because of my sin and i want to look up and i want to look at that bronze serpent up on this pole so that i can be healed jesus used that as the example in talking about him being lifted up for us Again, the context is to be lifted up on the cross. It's also to ascend into heaven after he laid down his life. He ascended again into heaven. He conquered sin, death, and Satan for us. Now, some people again step back and they say, oh, the idea of Jesus being compared to a serpent. The idea, you know, that, that 
Jesus would be considered, compared to something that, again, we would maybe associate with satanic or something associated with the enemy who appeared as that serpent in the garden. But remember, there was a reason for that. He who knew no sin became sin for us. They were bitten by a snake. They looked to that snake. It was almost like saying, take my snake bite and put it up here. The Lord, again, when he went to the cross, took our sin upon himself, laid down his life, and he rose from the grave that if we look to him by grace through faith, we have salvation. And wonderfully, he did all of this when we were in rebellion. Listen, for God sold the world when we were in rebellion, when we were loathing him, when we did our own thing, when we had no regard for him. In fact, Romans 5, 6 through 11 makes it so clear. It says, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Notice verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of a son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received the reconciliation. So again, he loved the world. He loved us when we were in total rebellion against him. When we were in that place, he sent his son to die for us to make that means of salvation if we put trust and faith in him. And listen, that, that, that's kind of like the ugliness of him, of, of us, while we were in sin. And then notice what it says next. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And again, it's a, even a greater picture of his love for us and that it doesn't say he sent one of his adopted sons which again when we put our faith in him we become an adopted son in the old testament if they had faith in the coming messiah they were saved by grace through faith in the coming messiah they became adopted sons and daughters remember abraham when god told them to take isaac up on mount moriah and sacrifice him abraham thought this is the messiah of the world he's going to die for our sins that's why he was willing to do that. He understood as well that that Savior would be resurrected. That's why he told those that were on the, uh, on the, the bottom of the hill, hey, we're going to go up together. We're going to come back together. He had that much faith. And as he got up there, he was about to sacrifice his son. And the Lord said, stop, I'll provide my own sacrifice. So it's not that he loved the world so much that he gave one of his adopted sons. Wasn't that. We also know that it wasn't a created son. Some people want to say that Jesus is Michael the archangel. And so, again, a created being. And that's the one that went to the cross for us. No, Michael the archangel is not Jesus Christ. God gave, the Father gave his only begotten son, which is, again, the son of his bosom, the second person of the Trinity, the literal son of God, God who is God. So he gave his, again, literal son who has always been to die for us. And that makes this love for us even so much greater. It wasn't just some created being, but God himself. Jesus himself went and laid down his life, humbled himself, took on the form of a man, lived a sin-free life, and absolutely, again, took the wrath through us upon himself to pay the penalty of our sin, and he did it when we were in total rebellion against him. Beautifully, 
Listen, Jesus willingly went. He willingly went. And in that sense, Isaac was even a picture of Christ in that he willingly went with his father, remember, up to Mount Moriah there in Genesis. Now he began to question, hey, where's the sacrifice and so forth? You know, what's going on here? But we don't see him resisting because obviously he had a faith that had been stilled in him by his father and, you know, God working in his life. And Jesus, listen, he willingly went to the cross. I've heard people say, well, God, listen, if this is true, you know what, if God sent his son, then, then he's some cosmic child abuser. And that's become real popular today, even in evangelical circles of people that say, again, they're evangelicals, but they deny the work of the cross of Calvary. Oh, God, some cosmic abuser. You know what, a loving father would never do that to a son. Listen, the father and son of the Holy Spirit move in conjunction. And the father sent his son, and the son willingly went. Jesus willingly went to the cross to pay the penalty of your sins. Galatians 2, 20 through, uh, or just 220, it says, Paul's talking here, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, that the life which is now, uh, which now, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God, notice here, who loved me and gave himself for me. So he willingly gave himself for me, Paul declares. And then Jesus said in John 10, 17, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. So Jesus absolutely in submission to the will of his father, but absolutely willingly laying down his life to again, obey the father but absolutely to save us it says in the scriptures he went to the cross for the joy set before him and the joy set before him was making that way of salvation for me and you for all who would call on his name what a phenomenal picture of love now notice as well again for god so loved the world he gave his only begotten son and we got to understand the context here is not god loving some select people in the world but God loving all the world. And we gotta look at the context even of this message because at this point in history, the Jews were thinking God only loved them. He doesn't love these Gentiles. The Jews taught the Gentiles were made to fan the flames of hell. That's why they were made. In fact, Paul in his writings rebuked the Jews and Paul was a Jew. He said the Gentiles hate God because of you, because of your behavior. They had this mindset that, again, they were the elected few and everyone else had no hope. This is why when Jesus said to Nicodemus in the context here, you must be born again, he marveled. What do you mean I have to be born again? I'm a Jew. I'm a ruler of the Jews. I don't have to do anything. I'm elected myself. And then the Lord rocked his world by saying, God loved the whole world. God loves the whole world. That whoever believes in him, they're, they're not going to perish, but they're going to have everlasting life and listen it's so important here and i've heard this done many many times where people will interject words into this context into this text that isn't there where it says for god so loved the world they'll say well for god so loved the elect in the world where it says that whoever will believe in him they say well the whoever is the elect that will believe in him that's not the context here in fact that's exactly against the context because jesus is talking to a guy who thinks he's the elect and god doesn't love anyone else and they're saved because they're this special little group over here 
Now, is there election in the Bible? There absolutely is. But we got to look at the context here. We don't want to do that. To do so is to, again, to go directly against the context of Jesus correcting Jews here, thinking that they are the only elect and there was only hope for them. Romans 10, 12. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the, the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pretty clear, right? He loves the whole world. Whoever calls on him, whoever believes in him, he's going to save him. He's going to give him eternal life. Whoever, as he says here, as Jesus says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever, the word believe here means to entrust their life to him, to believe upon him. It's that picture of saying, I'm a sinner. I've done my own thing. I am my own Lord. Jesus, you are the savior. You atone for my sins. I'm asking you to forgive me, and now I'm believing in you. I'm believing upon you to be what? The Lord of my life, to be my God. Listen, that means something. It's not just a fire insurance prayer that I go about my own business. Real faith is seen when we really say, yes, I want you to be the Lord of my life, and we're saved by grace through faith, but real faith produces real action. It's gonna be seen in your life. Whoever believes in him, Again, will not perish, but have eternal life. When the Lord speaks of here of not perishing, he's talking about the second death. The Bible talks about a second death. And it's not a death in ceasing to exist, but it's the second death of being put into an eternal flame forever. Listen, I know this makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but Jesus talked about hell far more than he ever talked about heaven. And the reason he did that wasn't out of some pleasure or getting some kick out of throwing people there, but absolutely he wanted to warn them of that hell flame to point them to himself as that means of salvation, of that means of getting washed of sin that again separates us from God. God's holy, sin is rebellion, and God is not bringing rebellion into glory. God's not bringing the wages of sin, death and sorrow and pain and all these things. He's not bringing that into glory. And so he says here, listen, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in me is what he's saying, you're not gonna perish. You're not gonna go to hell. Revelation 12, 14 and 15 says this, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into that lake of fire. And there's other descriptions of this lake. It's, it's, again, it's not an annihilation. It is this place of torment, a place where, again, God places people who rejected him, who said, I'm fine in and of myself. I, I, I don't need this Savior. I don't need, again, to be forgiven. Or I don't want this Savior. I don't want to be forgiven. So he says they're not going to perish. But on the other hand, listen, so bad and perishing, but so good, and they're going to have everlasting life eternal life they're going to have eternity with god almighty with the sin nature even no longer in play and perfect fellowship with god and listen this life that we have right now yes we have life but compared to heaven this isn't living it just isn't we got to remember that we look through a glass mirror dimly 
and the things that God has for us. I mean, I, I think probably the closest thing we can get is when we are in, you know, sometimes you're, you're in that place where you're, you're just in, in, in deep, genuine communion with the Lord. And I think we get those glimpses. But you know what? Heaven is going to be perfect life. There's so many descriptions of it in the scriptures. Again, Revelation 21, 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Listen to this. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe every away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Does that not sound good? We won't perish, but we will have everlasting life now notice verse 17 it says for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved now we're going to talk a lot about condemnation to be condemned means to be sentenced to death it's to be sentenced to that second death to condemn it means to have a complete disapproval of in public so everyone knows it says Jesus didn't come here to condemn people. And sadly, I've actually heard pastors stop at this verse and twist this and say, listen, everyone's saved because Jesus didn't come to condemn. That's not what this is saying in the context. It's saying Jesus didn't come here to earth for three and 33 and a half years to run around wasting his time condemning people. Why? They were already condemned when he showed up is Why? Could you imagine someone saying, hey, I'm going to start a prison ministry. Oh, okay, what are you going to do? I'm going to go and I'm going to walk the, the, the halls there where all the cells are, and I'm going to around condemning everybody. Someone's in there for murder. I condemn you for that murder. They've already been condemned. I condemn you for that theft, you know, that grand theft that you committed. They, they already are. You'd be completely wasting your time there. They're, they're already behind bars. They're already condemned. They're already sentenced because of their crimes. The law, again, the law of justice, and man's justice isn't always perfect. Oftentimes it's far from it, but man's law of justice condemned them. Well, God's law condemns us. The law shows us we are sinners. In fact, 2 Corinthians 3.9 tells us the law is a ministry of condemnation. You look at the Ten Commandments, we've broken those things. It reveals that we are sinners, and in and of ourselves, we are under condemnation. Because the Word says if you break one point of that law, you break the whole thing. Even the person says, well, I'm a good guy, but you know what? You know, you've lied, you know, you've lusted, you know, you haven't always put God first, you've blasphemed the Lord at times. The law shows us we are under condemnation. Now, Jesus showed men they were under condemnation through Scripture, but he didn't come to condemn them. He came to make a way to save them. But he showed them they were condemned. How many times did he deal with the Pharisees? Again, last week we read a little bit out of Matthew 23. The whole chapter is about him rebuking these rulers of Israel, showing them they've broken God's law. Outwardly, you good, look good, but inwardly, you're, you're like a, a dead man's bones. You're, you're like a sepulcher. You're like a tomb. He tells them, you're a bunch of thieves. You're a bunch of liars. Why was he doing that to heap condemnation? They were already condemned. He was trying to get their attention. You and your self-righteousness, you're completely condemned. You need to repent. Think about the rich young ruler when he came to the Lord. Well, he thought he had it all, right? And back then they thought if you had wealth, you were extra blessed, you know, in a spiritual sense, even with God. And the Lord asked him, hey, have you kept God's commands? Oh yeah, I've kept all those commands, he says. 
Lord questions them again. Oh, yeah, I've kept all those commands. And so Jesus says to him, well, there's one thing that's required of you. Go sell everything you have and come and follow me. And it says he went away sorrowful because he had so much stuff. And the Lord showed him right there, listen, you have transgressed God's law. Because all this stuff that has been given to you is your God. It's your God. So the Lord showed him he was under condemnation. And as he walked away, it says that Jesus loved him and had a love for him as he walked away. But the Lord showed them they were condemned through the law. And we should do it as well. 1 Timothy 1.8, it says, We know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless, the insubordinate, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. If there is any other thing contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, the law is not for believers, it's for unbelievers. Again, those that have believed in Christ are not under the law, they're under grace. But those that don't know Christ are under the law of God. And again, they're already condemned. We need to show them they're condemned by saying, look at, look at God's liar. So he didn't come to condemn, but he showed people they were condemned. And then he showed them that he was there to save them. Again, God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And again, salvation only comes through him. You're not going to find it anywhere else, only through him. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him our sin separates us from god jesus came into the world again took the sin you know it took sin and put it on himself to die for our sins and then death couldn't hold him because he was sinless and he conquered the grave so by grace through faith in him we receive salvation and again listen he offers us to the whole world look at the context he didn't come to condemn the world. Why? The world's already condemned. So what is he talking about? Clearly, he's talking about the world that's under condemnation, but that the world through him might be saved. And we got to know it's God's desire that all would come to salvation. Not my opinion, it's biblical. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Pretty clear, isn't it? Second Timothy 2, 3 through 5. In getting instruction that we should pray, it says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for who? For all to be testified in due time. And yet again, I run into all these Christians that they'll inject the elect into that. Well, that's just us. He loves us. He's waiting for us to get saved, this elect, select group. Again, the context here of John 3, 16 to Nicodemus is, you're not a special group. They were special and they were set apart to bring the Messiah through Israel. Absolutely. But not in that we're saved just as Jews and everyone else cannot come to salvation. <laughs> Some would ask the question, listen, if it's God's desire that all would come to repentance, that all would be saved, then why aren't all saved? And it's a great question. 
Well, obviously, somewhere in all of this, man has a will that's involved. I know some people step back, and listen, I'm not in any way trying to stir division or debate, but look at the context here. I know some say, but all men are spiritually dead outside of Christ, so they can't even choose Jesus if they want to in their sin because they're spiritually dead and unable to do that. And I would ask this, can you convict a corpse? Because Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 16, 8, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Some people say, well, they're spiritually dead, but Jesus says, I can convict people that are spiritually dead. You can't do that to someone physically dead. And as we read the context and we'll look at it, he talks about men loving darkness rather than light. That's a choice being made by non-believers. Non-believers being convicted, non-believers being allowed to make a choice, non-believers being to differentiate between that which is light and that which is dark and that which is good and that which is evil. Now, I can't wrap my mind around all this stuff. Maybe you can. Maybe you're like smarter than all of us here. If you're going to be honest with the scriptures, though, it's hard to reconcile these things. And so I just, with all this, want to warn you to be careful and going down these rabbit holes, because one thing we see clearly in Scripture is, yes, there is an elect, there is a predestination in the Bible, but there is also God's will that all would get saved, and there is choice talked about through all the Scripture that whoever would call on his name would be saved. And I'll go back to the simple phrase that I have often used, if you call on the Lord, you're elect, and if you're elected, you'll call on the name of the Lord. And we have been called to preach the gospel to all the world. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the only name of the name of the only begotten son of God. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn what was already condemned. But he came to make that way of salvation through again, believing in him. Do you believe in Christ as your Lord today? Can you say amen to that? Then listen, he who believes in him is not condemned. Again, the word condemn, it means a death sentence. It means disapproval to the highest degree put out in public. But if you're in Christ Jesus, hear this this morning, you are not condemned. Again, the book of Romans makes it so clear. It's so beautiful. Romans chapter eight, one through four. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that not good? Can we say amen to that? It says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Listen, for the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Again, before Christ, I was under God's law, condemned me. I was damned to hell. All of us were. But Jesus Christ came and he fulfilled the law. That through faith in him, guess what? Again, through the law of the spirit of life of Christ, his sinless life, crucified, buried, raised from the dead. Now I'm free from the law of sin and death because now I'm under the grace of God. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so no longer am I positionally condemned. I'm in a place where I am accepted. I have eternal life. I'm in right standing with God through what Jesus Christ has done for me. 
It says, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did in sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So again, the law can't save us. It's weak. Oh, I'm going to keep the law and be right with God. No, the law shows you you can keep it. It's weak. It can't save us. It's there to show us we're condemned. But again, he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He loved the world so much, he sent his son. His son took on form. Again, lived a sinless life, which was required for us. Verse 4, it says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And again, when you put faith in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Now we, got a call, we have a call to go walk in the Spirit of God. So if you believe in his Lord, you are not condemned. Outside of Christ, though, if you do not believe, if he is not your Lord, you are absolutely condemned. You, have, you were born condemned. You are condemned. Again, there's an age of accountability. Uh, you know, a, a people at that point, they're, not under, they're under grace, but you come to that place. Listen, you're going to be accountable for your life. We're condemned in our sin. Why? Because we haven't believed in Christ. Christ is the only way of salvation. Some say, well, I don't believe in Jesus, but I believe in a higher power, and I believe if I do good things, God's going to accept me. You hear it all the time. I believe, and they'll throw out their thing. This is what I believe. The Bible says you've got to believe in Jesus. You've got to entrust in him. And I know some people, again, love darkness rather than light, and they're going to reject that and so forth. We've been doing these like little three- to four-minute snippets of the sermon and putting it up on facebook with an intro and an outro and everything and uh we 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 you know we we sponsor it and get it out there to more people and last week's was on you must be born again some of you guys might have seen it and i think we put it up yesterday we already got like 1500 views or something it's cool how the lord's using those things but i i saw last night before i went to bed i looked out there was one comment Again, the whole thing was you must be born again. Jesus said you have to be born again. The only type of real Christian is a born again Christian. And one guy would put on there in his comment was no. No. You don't have to be born again. You're fine in and of yourself. And listen, if you are not in Christ Jesus, you are in your sin. You are a breaker of the law. You are snake bitten with that infection of sin. And God's not bringing that into glory. He just isn't. Now, again, in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. But hear this, for the saved and unsaved, there should be conviction. And don't mix up conviction with condemnation. And a lot of people do. Sometimes there's Christians that are convicted because of their sin. And some will say, well, there's no condemnation. There isn't. But absolutely, if you have the Holy Spirit, there should be some conviction. In fact, if there is no conviction, maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit of God. Because the Bible talks about Christians grieving the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't do that to kick you up and beat you up and so forth. He'll gently convict us. Satan will condemn, though. Oh, you're not even saved. You're going to hell and so forth. Listen, that's the voice of the enemy. The Lord always gives us assurance of salvation by grace through faith in him. But again, he will convict us. 1 Timothy 2.19, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And when we're embracing iniquity, there's going to be a conviction from God's word, the spirit of God, hopefully even our own conscience. 
And if that's not there, that's a big problem because you've either hardened your heart to God or maybe you don't even know God. And if you do know the Lord, then he's gonna take you to the woodshed and correct you, correct you like those fiery serpents back there with the Israelites when they complained. But know the difference between condemnation and conviction. Again, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Those people that don't know God, the Holy Spirit convicts them that they don't know God to show them they need the Lord. As believers, we know the Lord, but he's gonna convict us if we're not abiding in Christ. Why? Because he loves us. Not to beat us up, not to tear us down. We have assurance in Christ Jesus. We need to stand in that. But God wants the best for our lives, and that's found abiding in Christ, not making provision for sin. Can we say amen to that together? Verse 19. And this is condemnation. The light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So again, men that refuse to accept Christ, he is the light of the world. He came to this dark place to save sinners when we were in our darkness. But these individuals that some say have no say in anything, Jesus says here, they love darkness rather than light. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a choice to me. They're willfully saying, listen, I recognize light over here, but I love the darkness over that. You can't get around that. I, again, I, how does all this really work? I'm going to find out one day. But I'm going to take the scripture at face value. I don't want that light. My deeds are evil. I love the darkness rather than the light. I don't want, I say, you must be born again there again. Nope. No. They're saying, I love the darkness. I don't want that light of Christ. Again, he is light. This message is light. The gospel message is light. And let's remember, we've been called to be salt and light. Let's represent him well in these things. Again, sadly, most men, though, outside of Christ, they love the darkness rather than light. I, I, listen, in those years I wasn't walking with the Lord, I remember loving my sin. But I hated how it left me. And somewhere in there, God granted me the grace to begin to pray, Lord, make me hate it. Make me hate it. And he heard that prayer. Sadly, we're living in a world, though, where it seems the love for darkness is more and more intense. It seems we're more and more in a time where good is called evil and evil good. The Bible speaks of this, 2 Timothy 3, 1. It says, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. And listen how opposite of this, this is of that description of love we looked at. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. And this kind of behavior, it seems, is encouraged, coached up, promoted, promoted as good. You see a world more and more just saying, we love the darkness. We don't, we want to get, it's like they're saying, we want to get God out of here. Again, 60s, we want God out of the school. We want that, we want those 10 commandments around here. We don't want these kids knowing they're in sin. We don't want, we don't want them, we don't want prayer being promoted. 
I saw the other day the uh, San Antonio airport. They said uh, Chick-fil-A cannot have a store in their airport because they're not friendly enough to LGBTQ. Did I get that right? They're not friendly enough to that. It's like we're talking scripture and truth. It's like now we're here like, are we, are you in America still? Like, what's going on here? Love and darkness. And yes, the Lord loves those people. They didn't come to get them. Came to save them. Came to save the heterosexual in sin. Came to save the man's man. You know, the macho man that says, I'm 100% man, but I'm in rebellion against God. Came to save him. Even the person that's confused doesn't know what they are because of all these lies being fed to them. <laughs> They're one thing one day and another thing the next day, you know. Verse 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light. It does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Again, you you see will here. You see action here. They love evil. They hate light. They don't come to the light. Why? Why don't they come to light? Because they love evil. They love their sin. And if you're loving your sin, you can't come to the light. Because to come to the light, you've got to acknowledge that sin is sin. And say, I'm ready to lay it down to get washed. Now, one note here, listen. Again, everyone practicing evil, there's a big difference between practicing sin and struggling with it. And when we come to Christ positionally, we're made right with God. Now, practically, we begin to grow in him. And there's struggles. There's growing pains in Christ, right? So when you're struggling with sin and you're in Christ, don't listen to the enemy condemning you. You stand in the work of the cross, but you receive that conviction Get close to him. He's the answer for all this stuff. Jesus is the answer for all of it. But again, everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Think about Adam when he sinned in the garden. He saw he was naked, and what did he do? He went and he hid himself. That was more about hiding himself spiritually. I got to get away from this truth. I don't want this. You, you ever, I mean, you ever think about why people that say there is no God or there's all these roads and, you know, uh, they have issues with Christ or whatever. Why do they get so stirred up at the name of Jesus Christ? Nothing riles them up like that. It's just evidence that it's true. They don't want to be exposed. They get angry. I mean, think about it. You're in, you're, you're, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a clothing store and you go in the, the dressing room and you're changing. You wouldn't like it if someone came and opened the door, Right? You say, get out of here. You'd probably call a police officer or whatever if it wasn't an accident. And when sin's exposed, people get angry about that. They get upset with that because that's their God. That's what they love. Believing what they want to believe versus, again, embracing the truth of Christ. And finally, verse 21, it says, but he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And listen, to do the truth, you have to come to the light. You have to come to Christ, who desires all men to be saved. Then we have the Holy Spirit where we can actually begin to walk in truth and bear, you know what, fruits of the Holy Spirit that hopefully, again, are clearly seen, as it says here, by God and by men, that they would see our good works and do what? Glorify us? No, glorify our Father in heaven. And that's where we go out by God's grace to be salt and light in 
hopefully the way we carry ourselves and our actions and sharing the good news of Jesus with those around us. And so again, so much here, so much good news, so much good news for the believer and so much bad news for the non-believer. And if you don't know the Lord today, listen, today's the day of salvation. The Lord wants to bring you from condemnation into salvation this morning. I hope we're all in that place. But listen, if you're not, let's stand up and close in prayer. And I'd love to, to pray with you uh, to, to, to call out to the Lord today for that salvation. Lord, we thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you love the world. I thank you, Lord, that your word makes it really clear you desire none to perish but all to come to life lord god we know that you know those that will call on you and those that won't but lord we read here you love all and you're desiring all too i hope and pray lord all of us in this room have called on your name and those of us that have i'd hope and pray god that we are stirred this morning to pray for those that don't know you to pray their hearts would be softened to the things of God. Pray, Lord, that they would see the great depravity in that darkness, Lord. And we pray, God, you draw them to the light of Christ. And if you're here today and you haven't called on the Lord, today is the day of salvation. Again, Jesus didn't come to condemn you. We already are, but he came to save you. If you're here today and you're saying, Steve, I want to be saved. I want to put my trust in the Lord. I know I'm a sinner. I, 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 tr- I want to call on him. I, I want to put my faith in him. I would love to lead you just in a simple prayer affirming that faith. Again, we're saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by some fire insurance prayer, but absolutely, if we have faith, he's called us to call on him. To say, Lord, here I am, I trust in you. So if that's you today, I I, want to ask you to let me have the privilege of just leading you in a simple prayer, affirming that faith. And if you know the Lord today, I want to absolutely invite you to pray with these folks. Just, you know, let's let's support them uh, in, in them calling on the Lord. And so pray with me this morning. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm snake bitten. I'm a sinner. I've broken your law, and I'm condemned. I want to be saved. Jesus, save me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. You rose from the grave to give life. Give me that life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me and forgive me and save me. I thank you, Jesus. Just meet any who've prayed that prayer, God, in sincerity, God. Just meet them right where they are, God. I pray, Lord, this morning you'd not only seal them with your spirit as you say that you do when we call on your name, but you'd give them that, that empowerment from upon high, God. Just that, that baptism of your spirit, God. Even, God, just bring deliverance, God, from those bondages that have gripped their lives, Lord. We just pray that for all of us here, God. We want to walk in freedom and victory, so just move mightily over us, God, with your hand. Lord, we read in your word, you inhabit the praises of your people. 
So as we close here, God, I pray that we could really praise you, God, and your spirit would just inhabit our praises. And again, Lord, fill us afresh that we could go out of here into this mission field built up in you, encouraged and revived. And we ask this in your name. Let's worship them as we close here.
That song's easy to sing when you know how great our God is, right? Well, God bless you. I pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ.